If you would, please turn in your Bible to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians. Uh, if you do not have a Bible, please feel free to grab a Bible um, from underneath the chair in front of you. And I was supposed to look at the page number where Philippians is found in that Bible to tell you, and I did not. But the book of Philippians, and I have to say, the book of Philippians is one of my favorite 66 books of the Bible. That was a joke. There's 66 books in the Bible. Man, tough crowd, tough crowd. Let's, let's open up in prayer again, and we'll start all over. Now, the book of Philippians, uh, when I was in college and my second year, we had to choose a book of the Bible to walk through for that whole year's classes. And I chose the book of Philippians, and honestly, I chose it because there's only four chapters, and I thought I was going to have it easier if I did that, and I was wrong. It doesn't matter what book of the Bible you choose when you're doing classes like that because they are so in-depth. One of the things I came to appreciate about the book of Philippians is that it is very upbeat. Uh, some commentators would say that the uh, church in the city of Philippi that Paul is writing to, uh, they said, this seems to be Paul's favorite church. And I don't know that's to be true. I don't know Paul never says, and by the way, you are my favorite church. It's never written in the book. However, it's very positive and it's very upbeat. And he keeps reminding this throughout this book, the word joy and the word rejoice always continues to appear throughout the first chap the, the, all four chapters. And it makes a difference when you realize that Paul is writing this from prison. Uh, he's been in prison for preaching the gospel uh, and he keeps telling them, hey, just rejoice. Like rejoice in the Lord. This is really great. This is, this is good. And I want to stop there and go back to what we've been talking about. We've been going through uh, our series that we've just become called Love Equips Sent, when you might see it on people's t-shirts or sweatshirts here tonight. So let's go back to what we've been covering the last three weeks, and that is, number one, the church's uh, mission statement. Do you have that, Reed? Can you pull it up really quick from last week or no? Hope Church exists to glorify God, build His kingdom, and fulfill the Great Commission. We talked about that last week, what the Great Commission is when we were in Matthew chapter 28. This is going to come all together now this week, tonight, why we've been talking about this. And how do we live this out? How do we, what is our mission in order to carry out this vision? We believe this vision is what God has called every believer to be part of. That he's called all of us to be part of a local church that represents the universal church to fulfill his strategy of building his kingdom by, number one, glorifying God through everything first and foremost. Secondly, it's about building his kingdom, not about our local church. Local churches, small local churches like this, come and go. The universal church lasts forever, and we are just playing that out. But also, we are to go. The Great Commission is go and make disciples teaching them everything I have commanded you and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so that was our mission to go out and do that. So our mission statement here at Hope Church is love, equip, send. And we spent the last four weeks talking about this. Uh, and that basically is love God, love others. Equip. We are here to equip the saints for every good work so that you can carry out the specific mission that God has called you to. We are here to disciple you into that. We are here to give you the tools or help you develop the tools that God has already given you to go and be equipped, but also to go and equip others and then to send you out. We send you out to your homes, 
your neighborhoods, your communities, everywhere where you live, learn, work, and play so that every man, woman, and child can have multiple opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there's another saying that we use, and we don't have it on t-shirts, and we don't have it on signs, but it's something that we mention a lot when we are preaching. You might hear us say this a lot, and if not, you will. I promise you, if you stick here anytime. We say the gospel is always about humility and sacrifice, not comfort and privilege. The gospel is always about humility and sacrifice, not comfort and privilege. In fact, if I was to summarize the book of Philippians into one sentence, that's what it would be. The gospel is always about humility and sacrifice, not comfort and privilege. And the word gospel is a word that we use really regularly. Hopefully, you hear the gospel every time you're here. Hopefully, the gospel is something that you talk about regularly in your personal lives, but I also know that when we say the gospel, you might be sitting there right now going, I'll pretend like I know what he's talking about. So I want to start and answer the first question, that is, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Now, this is one of those tough questions because the gospel is everything here in the Bible. But if we were to try to summarize it, we would say the gospel is the good news that Jesus has brought the reign of God to earth through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension to heaven. Let's back up a little bit more. The word gospel, the actual meaning of the word gospel is good news. And a lot of times what the gospel was, what the good news was, is let's say we are all in the Roman army and we are out fighting the Gauls in the middle of nowhere and we win. We win the battle. We will then select a messenger, and his job is to ride back into all of the cities and to tell the gospel, the good news, that there has been a victory, that we won, our army won. And then the news would spread, and the gospel would spread until all the cities in the Roman Empire would know that the Roman army has yet won again. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news that Jesus has defeated sin and death, that you and I no longer have to pay the consequences for our sins, for our wrongdoings, because Jesus paid it all. Jesus accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished. It is no longer left up to us. It is, the gospel is the good news that Jesus has brought the reign of God to earth through his life. He lived a perfect life. His death, he took our sins on his shoulders. He took them to the grave. Through his resurrection, when he rose again, our sin stayed in the grave, and he defeated death. And not just there, but he ascended to heaven, and he goes and he prepares a place for those that believe in him, and he is continuing to be there for us, and he sent his Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us, to help us as we live through the rest of our lives, to continue to mold us into Christ-likeness. That's the gospel, and that's about as short as I can do. And if you know me, you know that's pretty good. So when we get to the book of Philippians and we start reading, and what I hope to do is give you a brief overview of Philippians, enough that you're like, I got to go home and read Philippians tonight. Plus, there's no playoff football this weekend, so I have plenty of time to read Philippians tomorrow. In Philippians, Paul is writing from prison. These are known as his um, prison epistles. And so these books and the surrounding books, are one, these are letters that he is writing to specific cities as he's in prison. This is not nice prison. This is bad Roman prison. Now, 
he's more than likely in, in house arrest, and he is being held prisoner uh, under the Emperor Nero, that hopefully, if you've spent any time in any history class, you know who Nero is. He was one of the worst world rulers of all time. Um, just a horrific human being, um, awful. Uh, he burned Rome and blamed it on the Christians. He heavily persecuted uh, the Christians. He burned them alive in his garden. He fed them to lions. I mean, and that is who Paul is in prison. So understand that the Christians, even though he may only be in house arrest, they're still very concerned about Paul. And so Paul starts off and he's thanking God for the Philippians. He's thanking them for the gift that they sent him. Um, and then he goes in and talks about, hey, I'm in prison. You know what? That's fantastic news. Why? Because the whole Praetorian Guard, think for modern day times, the whole secret service has now heard the gospel. Because of me being in prison, the gospel is spreading through the emperor's home. And people are coming to know him through the gospel, the good news. So you might be worried about my safety. Who cares? In fact, towards the end where we're going to pick it up, uh, he starts talking about, and I don't know if it's better to live or die. Like if I die here on earth, I get to go be home with God. And that's fantastic. But I think God wants me to stay here for right now because he knows you need me. And that's good too. So whether I live or die, it's all great. And he just says, just keep rejoicing. Just keep rejoicing that the gospel's going out. Keep rejoicing because you're doing it. You're, you're showing other people the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So then we pick it up in verse 27. So we pick it up in verse 27, and I love the first two words. Again, he's just got done talking about, I might live, I might die, who knows. And then he says, whatever happens, no matter what, whatever happens in my life, whatever happens in your life, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed. That's pretty mean, but it's true. But that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now you hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, I think there's a problem that Paul is concerned about, and he is addressing it. Paul's now seen a lot of churches. He's helped start a lot of churches. He's visited a lot of churches that we actually have no idea who started. And I think he's seeing a problem as a church gets older, as a church has more people coming. Now, again, the, we have a very hard time understanding what a church was like in this Roman time period. Because this is a time where there was slavery. This is a time where slaves had no rights and they were not treated as, as humans. They were treated as animals. Um, this was a, a time where 
I mean, the, the man of a house had complete rule of whether his own children lived or died. This was a time that we have a hard time embracing the culture of uh, now. But then the gospel comes in, and the gospel starts to change people's lives. And they don't have the options of churches. Most of the churches didn't meet in a building. Um, a lot of them would meet in the Jewish synagogue so that they could hear the scripture being read, which we now know is the Old Testament. But then they would get together and they would have meals together during the week and they would uh, do all of these gatherings. But this is also a time of persecution, so they're hiding. They're hiding in caves and they're hiding in people's homes and they're going around and there was no set time of when church was and there was no advertisements of where to go to church. But it's growing. The gospel is demonstrating that it has the victory over sin and death and the church body is growing. But now you come into church and you're a slave that has accepted the gospel and you show up at church and that one master that was unbelievably cruel to you, who did horrific things to you, the gospel's also changed their life and they walk in the door or they walk in the cave or they walk wherever you're meeting. And then somebody else, another slave walks in and you remember, oh, I really mistreated that other slave. And a shop owner walks in and you're thinking, oh, and I robbed stuff from him. And then a Roman soldier walks in. So when we think of the idea of unity, we really don't understand that concept very well. We like to think of it as uniformity. Uniformity is we all think the same. We all think all of our kids are, uh, I hate to use this as an example, but I know I hear feedback from it. Been in churches, and I've been in a lot of churches, and been part of a lot of churches, but there's churches where a lot of times they are attached to a Christian school. And if your kids aren't in Christian school, you just don't fit in at this church. And I've been part of churches, and uh, I was homeschooled, and um, homeschool. If, you, if your kids aren't homeschooled, you just don't fit in at this church. And then there's been churches that if you're not, kids aren't athletic, and they're not on the public school sports team, you're probably not going to fit in because we're going to talk about that all the time. Now, we don't act like there isn't any advertising, but you get that feeling, oh, we don't fit in here. Why? And I'm just using schooling as an example. There's many other things that fit this mold. A lot of times, as human beings, we crave, uni we crave uniformity. We want people that look like us, talk like us, think like us, watch the same news network as us, vote like us, then if you do all those things, now we can get in the same room and worship Jesus together. But we're called to unity, which is people have different beliefs and uh, uh, different politics and different ways of schooling their children and go on and on and on. But when we come together, what happens is we are unified around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the problem that I think Paul is concerned about. When the gospel is not the focus of a church, you start to get concerned about stupid stuff. And all of a sudden it becomes about the carpet, and it becomes about how we cover the windows, it becomes who got invited to what party, it becomes about, um, you name it. I've seen Satan use so many dumb things to divide churches and get people upset and they choose, well, I'm not going to that church anymore. I don't like this. And it is the dumbest, and I'll say it, crap. It is so dumb. And I then hear pastors make fun of it and everyone's like, that was hilarious, the way he talked about that. And then they go out to the parking lot and they're like, you know what I don't like about this church? I don't like, and then it starts spewing out right after we were just laughing about it a couple minutes ago. The problem that Paul's concerned about is when the gospel isn't the focus, we tend to make really stupid stuff the focus. 
So we see Paul, and he's very thankful for the church, but he reminds them of the mission, and the mission is always the gospel. He's so thankful for the the church in Philippi, and he's thankful for their gifts, but he wants them to understand that the furtherance of the gospel is where the focus should be. Don't even worry about me in prison, he's saying. Rejoice that I'm in prison. The gospel's going out. But you also make sure that the gospel is going out. He talks about it in um, uh, Philippians chapter 1. He's saying, listen, there's people that are preaching the gospel, and they're doing it just to promote themselves. They're doing it so that they look good about themselves. But then there's people, and they're doing it from a very pure heart because they love people, and they're doing it too. He's like, who cares? The gospel message is going out. Yeah, we'd much rather him it be this way. Uh, there was a, a really big Christian comedian. I'll, I'll say his name because I'm sure you can Google him. Uh, in the 80s, and I remember listening to his cassette tapes. Some of you, I was going to get a picture of what a cassette tape looks like. And his name was Mike Warnke, and he was hilarious, and he had great stories about him and being in... Anybody remember Mike Warnke? Any, any followers? Okay. Thanks. Daniel and Dan. Yeah. Um, and he was hilarious. I remember my, my older brothers had his tapes, and I would listen to his tapes, and they were hilarious. He talked about his time in Vietnam, and he talked about his wife, and he talked about all these things. I mean, and there was a, a really good friend of mine who ended up being a missionary, and he, um, he in the, I think he was in his 30s, and he went to a Mike Warnke concert. Mike Warnke shared the gospel, and he accepted Christ. And later on, I worked with him at, a, um, at an organization, and uh, at that time, I worked with him in the late 90s, in, I think it was the early 90s, and again, I should have fact-checked all this, but I'm sure five of you are Googling it right now to see if I'm telling. It came out that nothing Mike Warnke said was true. That he was just a massive liar. And it's one thing if you're a comedian and you're telling stories to get people to laugh, but then when he would go into his testimony, he would tell all these things that he did. None of that was true. He would tell about what the changes that God made in his life, and none of that was true. And I remember talking to my friend, and he said, you know, Rob, I think of Philippians chapter 1. I accepted Christ, and that was real, even though he was just doing it to promote himself and get a ton of money through his tape sales. So Paul's saying, yes, it's not great that this is happening, but hey, the gospel is going out. The power of the gospel is continuing to go out. But then he comes down, and I love, again, that those first two words, whatever happens. Listen, whatever happens. He's explaining that no matter what is happening around you, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what situation you find yourself in, hey, I'm in prison facing death, and you know what's important? The gospel going out. Whatever situation that we find ourselves in, what's important is that the gospel goes out. What's important is that we have our attention and our focus on the right thing. And it doesn't just stop there. Notice the next two words, conduct yourselves. The focus of the gospel just isn't about telling people how they can know Christ. Yes, that's important. But also, it is also living in a way where people can see the gospel at work in your life. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy so that when people see you, they know that there is a change in your life because the gospel is at work. You'll hear us say that always preach yourself, to the, preach yourself the gospel every day. Preach yourself the gospel every day. Why? Because there's always areas of our life that have not been affected yet by the good news that Jesus defeated sin and death. We preach ourselves the gospel every day. Why? Because people are watching. Wherever you live, learn, work, and play, people are watching. They're waiting. I remember um, when Tim Tebow was at his, his height, and I think TMZ offered $2 million to anybody that could come forward and basically say that Tim Tebow was a fraud. 
People love to find out that you're not really what you say you are. I worked at one place, and it was a ministry, and I remember um, there was most of, the, most of the people that worked there uh, said they knew Christ, and then there was one guy that, that said he did not. He was a really nice guy. Actually, he was probably the hardest worker there. And um, I became really good friends with him, and one time he told me, he goes, you know, sometimes I come into work when they're all over in the corner and they're praying that I would get saved. He's like, but over half of them I sold weed and acid to the night before. And now they're over there praying that I would, why do I need to know Jesus? We're in the same boat. Like there's no difference except they pray when they get to work and I just go to work. And he's right. Are we conducting ourselves in a manner saying, listen, I need Jesus. So everything that we do, do we point back to Jesus? Are, are we really living for the glory of God, that God receives all the glory in our life, or do we turn it off and on? Does the gospel affect every part of our life, or do we, do we go to work and we're like, oh, man, and we, all we find ourselves doing is complaining, and we're mad at our boss, and we keep thinking about the circumstances in our life. If I just had more money, if I, ugh, if I just had a different boss, if I just had a better desk, if I had a better car, if I had a better house, if I had a better apartment, if I lived in a better city and in a better state, if just stuff was better... I wouldn't have so many problems. Paul's saying, whatever happens, whatever situation you find yourself in, conduct yourself in a manner where, why? Because people are watching. I, would, uh, I worked with somebody and all they did was complain about their church. It was a different church than the one I went to. My church was fine and perfect. Their church was a wreck. But they would complain and then they'd be like, boy, Rob, we gotta pray for these people we work with because you know, I invite people to come to church and they just don't come to church. I was like, yeah. I don't want to go to your church. All you do is whine and complain about it. And then once in a while, your pastor preaches messages about inviting friends. You're like, hey, you should go to church with me. Why the heck would I want to go to church with you? When all you do is whine and complain about it. Oh, I got a community group tonight. That's a real bore. You should come with me. <laughs> Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to show, listen, these are the attributes when, when, we're, when the gospel is the focus Look what he says, and I'm cheating because I highlighted it in my Bible, but he says you're able to stand firm. You're in one spirit. You strive together. That's that unity. We can come together. We can rally around the gospel. We strive together for the one faith. When we encourage each other through Christ, when we, we have received comfort from his love, when there's common sharing in the spirit, when there's tenderness, when there's compassion, when we're joyful, when we're like-minded, when we're of the same love in the one spirit, in the one mind, when there is humility and we think of ourselves more, or we think of others better than we think of ourselves, when our interest is what other people are thinking, it is a demonstration that the gospel is penetrating our lives and it is making a difference because the focus is the gospel. The focus is our lost neighbors and our lost coworkers and the people in our home. That becomes the focus and stuff doesn't matter. When we've lost focus of the gospel, what happens? We are frightened. We oppose. Those that oppose the gospel will be destroyed. And it's usually out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. It is usually done because I'm trying to promote myself more than I am trying to promote Christ. I'm trying to make myself look awesome and not God look awesome. By the way, God is awesome. No matter what I do, God is awesome. But there's always that temptation to make myself look awesome. And when I do that, the focus is no longer on the gospel. It's all about me. Selfish ambition and vain conceit. It's about what I can get out of it or my ego is going out of control. So he's saying, 
this is what happens. Whatever happens, the gospel's priority. Rally around the gospel. Have unity around the gospel. It's how people from different backgrounds, of different colors, of different, you name it, can come together and say, yes, we are united for the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the difference that that has made in my life. Then he goes on. Pick up in verse 5. In your relationships with one another. There's one of those key words you should always highlight or circle or whatever it is. One another. That's a command to the church. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Another word for mind is attitude. But when I was um, nine years old, we were living up in the Adirondack Mountains. Ever heard of them, Ryan? No? And it's a long-running joke. We, and I was homeschooled at the time. And there's being homeschooled, and like now it just doesn't make sense because now all these homeschoolers are so lucky. They have like co-ops and they can play sports, and especially in South Carolina. I was in New York. So I was in New York where you still cannot play sports if you're homeschooled. You cannot play public school sports. We didn't really have co-ops. We didn't have these things where we got to go to. So not only was I homeschooled, but I was homeschooled in New York. And not only was I homeschooled in New York, I was homeschooled in New York in the 80s. And not only was I homeschooled in New York in the 80s, we lived in the middle of nowhere in the mountains. And then they would get together the homeschooled kids once in a while. And this sounds really bad, and it probably is, but I remember being nine years old and driving to one of these. And I mean, these people were freak shows. Like, think of the worst brand of homeschooler. And don't act like you don't. Everybody does. I can say it because I was homeschooled. And then, like, magnify that by a lot. And that was the homeschool group. And I was nine years old, and I remember telling my mom, Mom, I do not want to be associated with these people. I was only nine, and I lived on a buffalo farm five miles from the next house where people lived in. True story. And I knew I didn't want to be associated with these people. And my mom would look at me and goes, Rob, there's a lot of things in life that we can't choose, but we can always choose our attitude. And then she would use a cassette tape, as referenced earlier. She's like, you're on side A. You need to flip it over on side B and have a good attitude about this. Again, I should have brought a picture of a cassette tape. But here Paul is basically saying the same thing, is, hey, this, choose this attitude. Have the mindset, or, or have the mind of Christ. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, stop. Jesus is God, the Almighty, who has existed for eternity. Colossians tells us that all things were created by him and for him and through him. Remember last week when we were in the Great Commission, he says, all authority has been given to me. Why? Because he is God. He is sitting at the right hand of God. He's in the throne room of God. He is God. He is the commanding officer of all the angels. So when it says, who being in the very nature God, continue on, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Next time you think you're a big deal here on earth because you're a human, just remember, remember Paul uses it to demonstrate how humble Jesus is, that he became a human. He made himself nothing. How? Because he left heaven and he came to earth as a 
completely dependent baby. But not only did he make himself a human, he wasn't born in a, in a castle, he wasn't born in a throne room, he was born in a manger. He took on the very nature of a servant. What do we see Jesus doing? He's always serving. He's washing the feet of his disciples, which was what the lowliest new servant got basically as hazing. Hey, you're the new guy, you got to wash people's feet. Where do we see Jesus? He's washing his disciples' feet. Why? Because they were just arguing about who should be in charge. Not only was he a servant, but he was made as a human. Again, not a compliment. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. On top of all that, he continued to humble himself. How? By becoming obedient to death. We're like, oh man, he even died. But then it continues, even death on a cross. Why? That was the worst form of death. It was the most shameful. In fact, at that time, if you had a relative who had died on the cross, you just stopped talking about them. Like back then, they didn't have this, but let's say that you had photos of your family. You would go through and get rid of any photos and because it's better to not have to talk about a brother that died on a cross than it would be to say, well, I had a brother, but he died on a cross. So we're just going to erase and get rid of every memory because it was so shameful. There isn't a lot written about crucifixion because nobody wanted to touch that subject. It was so shameful and humiliating, and nobody would ever talk about that their relative would have been crucified. They didn't want to have any association with that. What do we see Jesus doing? Becoming a human, becoming a servant, continuing to humble himself by being obedient, even when it put himself repeatedly in in situations that could have been harmful to himself. But that didn't stop him. He then was obedient to death, but not just death, death on a cross. A level of humility that we can never understand. But in the process of doing so, Jesus, going back to what the gospel is, he came to earth to live, and he lived a perfect life demonstrating his power, that he had power over sin. Then they arrest him and they they crucify him and he sheds his blood and that blood all through the Old Testament, we are told that forgiveness comes through the shedding of blood and he sheds that blood and and later on we're going to be taking communion and that's a representation of Jesus' blood. And that blood was shed and then he took your sins and he took my sins and he took the sins of the world on his shoulders and he died. And he took our sins to the grave And then demonstrating his power over death, he rose again, leaving our sins. Our sins have been paid for, and they are in the ground. And he rose again, demonstrating his power over death. And then he went to heaven, demonstrating his power. He is alive. He goes back to heaven. He prepares this place for you and for me. But he started by humbling himself. And now Paul says, have that same attitude that Jesus had that he was willing to continually. And if Jesus, who is God, did that, how much more we as a created human being should be willing to give up whatever it is so that the gospel continues to go out. Paul is turning the focus from their earthly circumstances to the magnitude of who Jesus is and what he has done for them, the magnitude of how much Jesus loves them. And I hope tonight you're understanding the magnitude of how much Jesus loves you the magnitude of how much God loves you, that he sent his only son to earth to take on your sins and pay the consequences for your sins so that when he rose again and defeated sin and death, the gospel, the good news that he defeated sin and death, that when you come into that relationship with him and God looks at you, he no longer sees your sins, but he sees the perfect blood of his son. 
we would ask the question at different camps and different places I worked for, like, hey, if you, if you were, died tonight and you went to, up to heaven and you were standing at, this is not, by the way, theologically correct in any way, but you were standing there at heaven and they said, well, why should we let you in? What would you say? And the answer is because I have accepted Christ. He has forgiven my sins so that when God looks at me, he no longer sees me in my sinful way, but he sees his son's perfect blood. And I am considered righteous. So it has nothing to do with what I've done or what I deserve. It has everything to do with what Jesus has done for me. Continue on verses 9 through 11. Therefore, and I love the amount of therefores that we're reading tonight, because it keeps saying, now because of this, this happens. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Because of what Jesus did, displaying humility and sacrifice, he set the example of what living out the gospel looks like. Jesus has all authority. We referenced this passage last week talking about Jesus saying, all authority has been given to me. Go and make disciples, and I am with you always. Jesus has all authority, and when we see him in the right perspective, it puts us correctly in the frame of how important the gospel is. When we look at Jesus and we see what he has done for us, he humbled himself, and then God set him up, gave him authority, the great ruler, the king of kings, the prince of peace, Emmanuel, God with us, all of these different names that represent who Jesus is to those who know him and who Jesus is no matter what people think of him. I love when it says that all people will fall. I love it throughout the Old Testament. Every time that Jesus appears, people just fall down. And they don't really argue with him. Which I kind of say this, and um, I don't mean it in a funny way, but I always, people are always telling me what they think of Jesus. Well, I think, and I think, and in the words of the great philosopher, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, It doesn't matter what you think. God is God. God is awesome. Jesus' son is who exactly who he says it is. Your thoughts don't matter. We all have thoughts. We all have things we want to picture Jesus as being. Some are right, some are wrong. What the Bible says who Jesus is, what the Bible says who God is, that is always correct. Jesus is Lord. He set the tone, he set the example of what it is to live in humility and sacrifice when the gospel is the main focus. We are willing to humble ourselves. We are willing to sacrifice whatever it is to make sure the gospel goes out. And the last point tonight is this. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Let's pick it up in verse 12. Therefore, my dear friends, again, another therefore, As you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill the good purpose. I'm going to stop there for a second. What an awesome promise. How thankful I am that where I'm at now is not completion. How thankful are you that where I'm at now is not completion? And for each other. Thanks, Randy, for agreeing so heartily with that. (laughs) The promise of God that he is going to continue 
Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill the good purpose. Go back uh, the next chapter. In chapter 3, Paul is explaining, by the way, I haven't achieved this, is Paul's words. I haven't achieved this. In fact, I've accomplished stuff, and you know what I think of what I've accomplished? It's garbage. In fact, the, the Greek word that he uses there is skubala, and in modern-day Greek, that's a swear word. That's what he thinks of all the stuff that he's accomplished in his earthly education and, and rights and birth and all of that. So as Paul's writing this, he's believing the same thing about himself as, hey, there is a continued, become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. See, back then, they lived in a warped and crooked generation as opposed to now. I guess it's always fitting. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life, the Bible, the God's word, Jesus. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. God is always at work. The gospel isn't a one-time thing where you accept it and then you just continue on with life. No, uh, we talked about it last week in John 14. He says, I am leaving earth, but I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. I'm sending you a helper, and he's going to continue to teach you, and he's going to bring back to your memory the things that you've learned from me and the things that you now learn from Scripture, and he's going to continue to educate you. And I've also given you a church family to be together and talk together and help each other grow, and he's given us this way of continuing, and, and we call it pursuing holiness. God says, be holy for I am holy, but it's a lifelong process. So you continue to pursue holiness. We continue to be set apart for God's special purpose and, and continue to follow after him. Why? Because God is always at work in our lives. One of the signs, uh, Paul later explains, one of the signs of, of understanding spiritual maturity is that not everybody's at where they need to be, in, but there's going to be a growth process. And we get to help each other grow. And again, when Paul says, I haven't achieved it yet, that gives me great comfort. But if Paul can say that, how much more should I be saying, I'm not even close? I don't know how long my life is going to be, but I know God is going to continue to be working in my life as long as I'm taking breath in my lungs. So the gospel isn't a one-time thing, but it's a continual transforming of ourselves into Christ-likeness. And I'm so glad that he promises that he's going to continue to do that. And I love that he says, rejoice, rejoice in this. Rejoice that God is continuing to work. That's one of the reasons when we go to take communion tonight is a representation that we remember that God's body was broken when we, when we take the cracker, that, that his body was broken for us, that his blood was spilled when you dip it in the juice, and that's a reminder that his blood was spilled, and now if you believe in him, you are no longer sentenced to death and, and eternity away from God, but now when God looks at you, he sees his son's precious blood, and he accepts you as righteous. So yes, when we take communion and we stop and we pause, we, we pray. Paul says in 1 Corinthians to examine ourselves. So we examine ourselves, but then we rejoice that we have the ability to have a relationship with God because of what Jesus accomplished. So we preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Let's go back. The gospel is always about humility and sacrifice, not comfort and privilege. When it starts to become about our comfort, now, we are told in the Bible that God is a comforting God, that he brings comfort. This is the type of comfort where we just, comfort and privilege where we just deserve better. Why? Well, because I'm awesome, and I deserve it. And it's fine, I, had, I was talking to a really good friend of mine that I hadn't seen in over 20 years uh, this last summer. 
and we were talking um, in general, and I mentioned this, and he goes, uh, but Rob, like, I've done very well for myself in business. Does that mean I'm doing it wrong? And I was like, no, because that's not wrong in and of itself. And he loves to give. His brother's a church planner in a country um, where he could more than likely not be killed, but he could be in a lot of trouble, and they support him. And he's used his doing good at business to support all these things around the world. And he serves in his church. He does all these things, and God just continues to bless him. So I said, no, that's not wrong. It's not wrong to find things that are comfortable. But if that becomes our God, if our focus isn't trying to humble ourselves to serve God, but rather to bring the attention to us and, and make sure that we get it exactly how we want or we will find another church, we will find another faith, we will find whatever it is, if that starts to become the attention over how am I serving God, then yes, we have placed comfort and privilege over humility and sacrifice. And every single person has a different place that God has called them to be at in that, and I don't know. What we do know is what Jesus' example was, that the gospel, the good news, is always about humility and sacrifice, not comfort and privilege. So uh, here's a couple questions for you to talk through in your community group. And again, he talks about this uh, in these passages from 12 to 18. There's that one verse that if you grew up in a home like me, you heard all the time, do everything without grumbling or arguing. We all had that memorized before we could talk from how many times my mom told us. So question number one to go over is your daily life more defined by complaining and arguing or sacrifice and humility? Is your daily life more defined by complaining and arguing? Again, Paul's using that as a, when you lose focus on the gospel, you can tell because you're grumbling, arguing, complaining, you're finding something that's always wrong, somebody has always wronged you. Or is it about sacrifice and humility? Question number two. In what areas of your life has the gospel changed your attitude towards the circumstances you find yourself in or others? Now, I think I know just about everybody in this room, close, or minimally. But hopefully, if you know Christ, there is a thing you can celebrate because you have seen your attitude change towards a circumstance you find yourself in or your attitudes towards others has changed. So this should be a positive question hey, let's celebrate, let's rejoice in, I've seen growth in my life in this area because this guy at work, I no longer avoid him like the plague. I now will say hi before I run to my desk. Then the next question's a little tougher. In what areas of your life do you need to see continued gospel change? What are the areas of your life where it is about your comfort and your privilege rather than sacrifice and humility? And the follow-up is ask your community group to pray for you in these areas this week. Should be a fun discussion this week in community groups, by the way. But if you're not in a community group, again, we really want you to, to join a community group, but we also understand um, to have these conversations with your spouse, your roommate, your, you name it, some, a trusted friend. Sometimes we don't see it. I had a boss, and I've kind of taken, he goes, we don't always see the label. You can't see the label from inside the bottle. In other words, this is my bottle, I'm on the inside, and I think wonderful things about the label on the outside. Sometimes you need people that can tell you, by the way, your label is reading this. So find someone that you trust, someone that you love, and say, what areas of my life do you think the gospel needs to penetrate? I want to leave you with a, with a quote from D.L. Moody. He was an evangelist in the 1800s. was very well known for saying exactly what was on his mind. 
He said, there are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord, but few of us are willing to do little things. When it comes to how we live our everyday life, when it comes to that whatever happens area of our life, when it comes to that conducting ourselves in our daily life, what does the sacrifice and humility look like for the sake of the gospel? There are many of us that are willing to do great things for the Lord. I use the example, it's, it's somewhat easy. I've always felt comfortable being on a stage with a microphone, and I know that's not the case for everybody. And a lot of people consider this something great. Like you get up on a stage and you, you, you preach and you teach and you talk. And again, for me, uh, being on a stage with a microphone is, is pretty easy. That's something I've done basically my entire life. I know some people, it's the number two fear in the world. Number one is death, and number two is public speaking. So I know that's not true for everybody. But all of us have something that it's like, oh, that's easy for me to do. I can do that. It's the little things. It's how you live out your daily life. It's how you, are you living, are you conducting yourselves when nobody's watching in a manner that's worthy of Jesus Christ? Are you conducting yourselves at work when nobody from church is there? Are you conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? When you get cut off and you're all by yourself in your car, are you conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ? Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to know you, to have a relationship with you. Lord, I thank you that you loved us so much, that you humbled yourself and took the form of a servant, and that you took our sin and that you died for us. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this evening who has never entered that relationship with you, that tonight they would put their faith in you, that they would call out to you, that they would ask for the forgiveness that only you can offer, that they would understand that it's not of anything that they can do, it's no work that they can do, but it's all because you've already accomplished it. I pray that we would celebrate with them coming into the knowledge of knowing you. But Lord, I also pray for those of us that do know you, that have a relationship with you. Lord, I pray that tonight, that as we examine ourselves in the mirror of your word, that we would be able to ask ourselves a tough question and challenge ourselves with what area of our life has the gospel yet to affect. And challenge ourselves with the question of am I living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Or is my life demonstrated through complaining and arguing? Is my life being caught up on the things that just don't matter? I pray that you would help us to realign our focus back on your gospel, that we would be united around telling others the good news that sin and death have been defeated. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.